Welcome to the Gen X Replay Podcast. I'm Stephanie Watson, and today's episode is our pilot of a new series we're calling The Away Team with Hoot and Steph. That's right, Hoot is back, joining me to talk more about Star Trek, including everything from characters, stories, and lore to the philosophy and social impact of the franchise. We hope to have episodes that run about 20 to 30 minutes each, though this pilot is a bit longer as we tackle a broad icebreaker question. What impact has Star Trek made on your life? Note that the audio quality isn't the best for the pilot, but we'll be improving that with some new equipment very soon. We look forward to hearing what you think of this new series and to share any topics or ideas you have for us for future episodes. Today we are going to talk about the impact that Star Trek has made on our lives. And we're going to start our conversation on this topic with answering the question, what are your earliest memories of Star Trek? Go ahead, Hoot. I guess for me it started when I was a kid in the long, long ago. <laughs> in the before times. In the before times. Um, but no, like... like it's actually kind of closely tied to some of my earliest memories, which, you know, at the time I was, you know, to, to put it into context, you know, I was a military brat. I grew up on an American Air Force base in Japan. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, I wouldn't say grew up because I was still a kid when we came back to the States. But, you know, it, that was where I spent my, the earliest, the earliest memories I have of my childhood are from that spot. So... Um, you know, like most American kids, Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. Like there were Saturday morning cartoons, and and also at that time, the the main media for entertainment was records. Mm-hmm. So my first memories of Star Trek are actually probably the Star Trek animated series. Mm-hmm. You know, which at the time we called cartoons. Right, because we, right, were, we right. were Americans, but <laughs> but um, there was Saturday morning, and you and you know there was things like Scooby Doo, and then there were also some Japanese things like Drymond, Uthudaman, which would you know become in America is known as Ultraman, mm-hmm. although that was more live action, rubber suits and stuff, Godzilla, mm-hmm. and there was Star Trek, there was the animated series, and uh, we used to watch that, you know, eating our breakfast cereal and and sitting around on Saturday mornings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably my first real memories of Star Trek. And then as a result of that and my parents seeing interest in it, they also picked up these awesome albums. They were they were vinyl-pressed albums mm-hmm. where the cover, the, the, the sleeve of the, the record, uh, was also a comic book. It was essentially like a read-along, like you flip through the comic book and you read along as you play the record. So mm-hmm. you get to hear the voices and you get to see the pictures and and that. So that, that, that's pretty much my earliest memories of it, um, you know, up until the time when the first film came out. And I, I think at that point I'd probably actually been seeing episodes of the original series on television as well. Right. So, so that would have really been my first first introduction but it was really the 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 animation the animated series and the record and read-along books Mm -hmm. like that was kind of my first exposure to star trek yeah i would say i i have memories of the animated series but i think your situation was 
certainly unique being in Japan for a while. I remember the original series being in syndication. So I remember seeing that before I saw the animated series. Now, as to time frames of when that happened, I couldn't even tell you. I know that because it was in syndication, it would, it would just, you know, be popping up on TV at some time that I'm watching TV, either by myself or with my family or my brother or whatever. Uh, and my mom liked sci-fi, so, you know, if it was something that she that caught her interest, she probably was watching it and I just happened to be in the room while she was watching it or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a space Western, so <laughs> it has a lot of the same things as the old Western films and a lot of the actors, you know, were in Westerns as well uh, at some point. And so I'm sure my dad uh, probably recognized that as well. But I, I don't remember seeing much of the animated series. I remember it being on TV, though, uh, and seeing some significant amount of it uh, early on. And then it wasn't until the 90s, I think, with, uh, with me actually getting cable as an adult, <laughs> where I found it this, that someone was running the animated series. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was Cartoon Network, might have been Cartoon Network, or it might have been uh, sci-fi at the time, I don't remember which. But yeah, that's kind of the, the earliest. And then there was this big gap of time somewhere between like mid-80s and <laughs> late college years in the 90s when, um, when you know, that in that gap, I just, I didn't take interest in Star Trek very much. I had seen the films, but The Next Generation had come out, and I wasn't even watching that series mm. until the last uh, year it was on. I was kind of in a catch-up mode <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was leading up to the end of the series. Yeah, for me, I definitely, um, you know, once we moved back to the stateside, um, I think I think Star Trek The Motion Picture came out shortly after that. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, um, I mean, we moved back we moved back stateside, like, right around 80, like, or December of 79, maybe, or just maybe it was December of 80. I can't remember. I've been hit on the head a lot. <laughs> I was part of, my first concussion was in Japan. Um, but, you know, so I, at, at, when we moved back, I was already kind of familiar with the syndication. So when it started coming up on television, you know, like Thursday nights or something, whatever. And it was like, wow, that's great. But, um, you know, and then, of course, I followed the movies as the, the film series popped out, which was just awesome. And then uh, when they started talking about, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation coming mm -hmm. out and it was like. Ooh, you were all about that. It was like, ooh, like when, when it first when they first introduced the idea. Yeah, it was pretty neat because, you know, by that time in my geekdom, I was very much into you know the spaceships and the lore and the weapons and the tools and the technology and just uh, the, and the social concepts. Even though I wasn't really aware of it as much at the time. Right. Right. But. Um, well, I guess that leads to the next question. What Star Trek property made you a fan and why? Um, I'd have to say, I mean, as far as the property is concerned, I mean, I was a fan of the TV show because, like you said, you know, there was the Western theme and that was also the things that came on on Saturday mornings in, right. on the, the where we lived, um, mm -hmm. was old Westerns. Yeah. Old Westerns, 
and samurai films, mm -hmm. many of which were actually based on the same sort of narrative structures that the old westerns were built on. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why The Magnificent Seven was one of my favorite movies all the time, because mm -hmm. it was a, a samurai story told in a cowboy setting. Yeah. And yeah. that really, I related to that a lot, um, especially with the original series. Uh, it was very much wagon train to the stars, I think, is the, the quote that people yeah. use a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And it very much was that, because I'd seen wagon train, you know, so it was... Um, I think that might have been Roddenberry's original statement about His original it. pitch. Yeah. So, um, so I'd have to say as far as the, the making me a fan of the franchise, mm -hmm. you know, obviously I was turned on to it by the cartoons. I was turned on to it by the record books, the, the record read-along books. Mm -hmm. um, but it was once it hit the film screens mm -hmm. that I really got sucked in, you know, especially with two. Because mm -hmm. I understood Rathicon. the background. Yeah. You know, like I'd seen the original episode with that. And, and while it was, at that time it was just like fun TV. It was when they took a movie and then related it to this old episode mm -hmm. that like really hooked me, I think. Yeah. And Ricardo Maltabon at the time, you know, we had Fantasy Island on yeah. TV. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we were all like, oh, it's Ricardo Maltabon. Yeah. Same thing in terms of that movie. I remember how big it was just it was huge when it came out there was so much love for it of course star wars was coming out kind of bookending that as well a little bit like a right around the same time so there was a lot of attention to these new blockbuster films that were coming out at the time in sort of a sci-fi or space story and uh i i remember seeing the film and just really loving that film and remembering Ricardo Maltamon from the series where I had seen the syndicated show with him on it as well. So, mm -hmm. um, and so I would say I was probably a fan at that time, but I wasn't a fan as in I'm going out to find more. So I wasn't maybe a fanatic at the time. I might've just been a appreciator at the time I really liked it and I really looked forward to seeing more but I wasn't actively going out and seeking more mm. um, and I, I believe uh, the that film and then the next two that came out I I remember pretty distinctly when they came out and, and enjoying those movies but when they announced the next generation I think it was one of those, was it a Friday night? It was on Friday nights or something like that? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember which night it was when it premiered. Mm. Um. Whatever it was, there was a time slot that wasn't quite right for watching TV for me because we had one TV in the house and, you know, if our parents wanted to watch something at a particular time and date, they <laughs> that took precedence. So I don't remember the parameters. I just remember it was one of those things where it just wasn't a convenient show. Mm, like came on too late or, you know, Starsky mm. and Hutch was on the other channel at the same time. <laughs> it might have been a Dallas and Falcon Crest thing for all I know. Oh, yeah, I have no yeah, idea. Like the one time you can never get the TV away from your mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't I don't remember. I wish I had a, a clearer memory of that, but I don't. Um but I do remember other people being fans of it. Um, 
But when I got to college, a lot of people were fans. So I started picking up episodes in college. I got reintroduced, reinterested in Star Trek. And in 94, leading up to uh, All Good Things and the end of The Next Generation. Yeah, it was about that mm-hmm. time. Spring of 94. Yeah, because yeah, I remember where I was, where I was, we actually had a big party when that was aired. Uh, me and several other people in college uh, were together in one big room trying to find a space to fit uh, to watch on this kind of moderately sized TV mm-hmm. <laughs> the final episode of The Next Generation. So knowing that was coming up, I kind of found as much as I could to watch uh, leading up to that point. So. But that was a lot of uh, a lot of fun, and I really just kind of re-fell in love with it right at that point. Just as the series <laughs> was ending, I kind of became a Star Trek fan again. So, And I heard about DS9, and I had not seen DS9 yet. Um, I didn't end up watching that until after college um and then when i did watch it i didn't end up seeing the whole thing until a little bit later and then once i watched the whole thing i was like yeah that's that's it love this love the series and completely skipped voyager i don't know if you did did you watch voyager when it first came out oh that's a whole other story Like, I watched, you know, The Next Generation when it first, when it aired, and then, mm-hmm. when, once, of course, once Deep Space Nine hit the air, I was jump. I, I was all about that. Um, and when they announced Voyager at that time, you know, living in, living in the town I was living in at the time, you know, my, my favorite thing in the world to do was to get the hell out of town as often as I could. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And uh, some friends that I had met had moved to Fayetteville, mm-hmm. and... We were already Star Trek fan, you know. That was kind of a common thread. We were, you know, we weren't like a fan group or anything, but as friends, we enjoyed Star Trek. So yeah. when when the Voyager hit the airwaves, the, the we actually threw up, uh, you know, like a little gathering party kind of a thing mm-hmm. for the premiere. Oh, nice! And then literally every weekend for like several, like a year, um, I would get off work, I would jump on my motorcycle, I would ride to Fayetteville, and we would watch whatever the new episode of Voyager was. Oh, neat. Um, so a little tradition there. When it aired, yeah. Oh, that's and and cool. that, that went on probably for like a year. Yeah. So not only did, did I get to get out of town, granted, I went to Fayetteville, so it's not like it was a, <laughs> it's not, it's <laughs> well. not like it was a big step up, but they had <laughs> Voyager and it wasn't Sanford. So yeah, yeah, it was like Voyager, not Sanford, Friends. Good, good memories. So, so it was good memories. Yeah, yeah it was a lot yeah. of fun. So, so that was. It was on UPN. It was their flagship show. Like yeah. that was their whole launch thing. Was you you know Paramount was gonna start their own network and mm-hmm. Voyager was their flagship. And I, I don't know. I there were other things I was interested in at the time that was just not a channel that I turned to or. It didn't seem interesting to me for whatever reason. Even though I liked Star Trek, I didn't seem interested in a new series. Mm-hmm. Always a little skeptical when something new comes out. You know, often don't jump on it right away. Um, <laughs> I let it let it kind of be out there a little while. Then I then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll try it out. 
Uh, I think because every series was so different from each other, so I wasn't sure how this one was gonna. Yeah, in some way, in time. Like. Yeah. Although you know, Janeway is a cowgirl. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they they definitely went back to that model of like the whole idea. At least you know, with the first one, it was you know, once again, it was the Wild West in space. And so it kind of had that that air of exploration, that air of the unknown, new, mm-hmm. you know, new civilizations and yeah, new adventures. And so DS Nine, which I love, went you know in in a in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And then Voyager kind of tried to return it to the, um, but in this case it wasn't like uh, it, it was more like lost in space ish more you know Mm -hmm. the idea that they're cut off that they are exploring Mm -hmm. but they're cut off yeah so it really wasn't the exploration that was it was more about getting home yeah it had that exploration happening along the way yeah there was a shift in the early 90s i want to say it was the early 90s or mid 90s away from episodic television and more towards serial television and so you saw the episodic nature of the next generation before it ended evolved into situations where you would have an episode that went over two or three weeks as a story arc. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you had ever-evolving things from season to season. But then um, DS9 took that further where you had an entire season that was covering a whole theme of you know, a whole story beginning to end across a season. And Voyager was doing the same thing. Uh, it had an underlying story that was from beginning to end, which was that journey home. And uh, even though there were episodic things going on in each episode, there was that underlying theme mm-hmm. that this is just another step on the path home. And that, and that, I think because the X-Files was really popular around that same time. Mm -hmm. And the X-Files also had that sort of formula of some episodes were just monster of the week episodes. Yeah. And then other episodes were episodes that tied directly back to the longer form uh, narrative. Yeah, it was one of those shows on that cusp of evolving between episodic and serial. And, you know, whereas... Star Trek, the original series, definitely had that more more of the episodic feel. Yeah, Every now and then you had a, a one that related back, but it was usually just the reintroduction of a character that you'd mm-hmm. already met or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next generation started doing that, um, particularly what season two, season three, with uh, the mm-hmm. introduction of the Borg. Right, right. You know, I mean, the idea of fighting the Romulans or fighting the Klingons, you know, well, that was just always going to be the baddies, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. a thing. It was when they started with the Borg where you had the two-parter, the the best of both worlds. Yeah. um, That really brought it into a cumulative storyline. Like, it Mm -hmm. wasn't just this, oh, this week we fought the Borg. You know, no, it all related back. Like, sooner or later, pieces that they told in later episodes related back to prior knowledge that you had from the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, now that I think back, you know, like, like I said, my, my memory is a little hazy, but maybe my resistance to Next Generation, DS9, and Voyager right off the bat was knowing that they were going with a serial model and having that fear of missing an episode and missing the part FOMA. of the story. Yeah. It, I mean, it was episode. real. 
I mean, it's not that's, like that's digital where we can just, you know, whenever we feel like watching it. Um, if you didn't set the VCR to record it, you know. Or if your brother recorded <laughs> over your tape. Right? Uh, and they weren't going to air it in any other points in the day. Um, yeah, it was like you had to watch it at that time on that channel uh, that day of the week. Or you had to have a VCR set to record it so that you could watch it later or you missed it. Mm. And I didn't have that consistency. And I didn't have a VCR to record it. So, <laughs> Or at least I had... I didn't have control over a VCR to be able to control to record it. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, you know, we could talk forever about going on with the series and how we reacted to the the newer properties. But I think what I really want to touch on now is over time, which Star Trek property became your favorite from the beginning to now? Do do you have one that really just stands out, or just had the most impact on you i mean it's it's i don't it's for me it's actually it's kind of had an impact on me from the very beginning mm-hmm. i mean as as far as that goes um you know because once again being an army brat growing up in a mm-hmm. military family living on an air force base in japan you know so i was exposed to different cultures different people people from all around the world loud planes flying over at all hours <laughs> of the night you know um Wait, you lived on DS9? What? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's kind of uh it's kind of like that. And and uh but the idea of uh military, I mean, you know, so the idea of military life was not a hard concept to me and and you know, ships and boats and guns mm-hmm. and whatever and but the science part of it mm. was really inspiring to me. The mm-hmm. the the experimental nature of things and the learning of new skills and technologies and the absorption, well, not the absorption in like an assimilated way, but in my brain, the seeing of different cultures, the experiencing of different um, things, very much related to Star Trek to me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was kind of the dream world. It was it was the dream world where people could come from all over and still work together, mm-hmm. you know, and learn together, and then take that and carry that to some other place and teach other people and learn new things. Mm-hmm. At the same. You know, so there was. It was that 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 spirit that that sort of Roddenberry spirit of optimism about humanity uh, embracing humanity mm-hmm. was kind of always a part of it, and and so and I feel like that got kind of instilled really early. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, and now knowing the background, yeah, DS Nine. <laughs> DS Nine is, I mean, I love them all, but yeah. to me, DS Nine is probably uh, the most impactful. Right. You know, right. especially emotionally. Yeah. Um, you know, not that the other that that's not said to belittle any of the others because yeah, you know, absolutely. But uh, as a series and being my favorite, I think it was probably DS Nine. Mm-hmm. It just could because it did get into because at the time when it came out was you know, I wasn't a kid watching cartoons anymore, mm-hmm. and you know started to see and learn you know in that time you know the. the the gray areas of the world, mm. you know, the, the dark serving the light, the light serving the dark, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, just the gray mm. and DS nine kind of went there. 
Yeah. It, it was actually one of the criticisms that a lot of people had about it was mm-hmm. it was too dark and it was not the perfect utopia and it was like it, yeah, it was kind of the point was yeah utopia is constant work mm-hmm. it's not like hey you know it's not like the renaissance you know or it is like the renaissance actually it's kind of like you know people think about it like the renaissance you know like one day you know some cobbler stepped out of his shack and said you know you know kids come here look it's the renaissance the renaissance is here <laughs> you know it's like, no yeah, it was like no. It was like a hundred and some odd year span of history. Mm-hmm. And for many people involved in it, it uh, they never knew. Yeah. You know, it's not like they were saying, wow, I sure am glad to be living in the Renaissance. Like, <laughs> no, they weren't there, you know. so They D- were calling it technological advances. Mm-hmm. And so DS9 for me was kind of along that line. Was yeah. It was just like, there was awesomeness and there was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, special effects and there was exploration, even though it was built on a space station. Mm-hmm. But it definitely fell more into that societal, how do people from different cultures stuck in one place get along? Right. You know? Right. Where, when they rub edges, how do they rub edges? When they, mm-hmm. you know, how do they get past it or do they? What and, are the real consequences of and that it, kind of thing? And it took me back to that childhood of living on an, a base in another country, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, and it kind of made me examine some of those very same ideas, you know, how did it, how did things go, you know, because a lot of people, obviously, the nostalgia, I don't know if there's a verb there, nostalgialize, <laughs> make up words now, but um, <laughs> the nostalgia of childhood, for example, mm-hmm. you know, those times when all the people are like, you know, they look back to the good old days. Mm-hmm. Well, generally speaking, the good old days tends to be your childhood for most people, because that's the time when you weren't worried about anything. Right. <laughs> But somebody else was. Somebody else was doing the worrying for you. Yeah. You know, and so looking back on it, you know, DS9 was really the point. You know, it's when I was I was getting out of school. I was having to go out and get a job. I was trying mm-hmm. to find a place to live. You know, there was the, the burdens of adulthood settling in on a young adult. Mm-hmm. And so when <laughs> DS9 was coming out, to me, it was very poignant because of that connection to the nostalgia of my youth. Mm-hmm. And and the the whole space station, disparate cultures, mm-hmm. desperate times, you know, it resonated. Yeah. Is bridging a gap for you in the same way that the show itself is kind of bridging a gap in its approach to telling a Star Trek story? Mm-hmm. And and I, I have to say that I can't really add any more to what you've said on that because DS9 is also my favorite as a... As a series entirety uh, for all those same reasons. But I will say that there were some episodes and general themes in Voyager I really connected with uh, when I finally got to the point of watching through that series. I I almost hated I didn't see it the first time through Mm -hmm. because uh, it was, it really had some amazing like single episodes that just they were a gut punch and how real and how real they seemed and how they made me feel. You know? mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Deep Space Nine almost gave Star Trek permission to go even deeper emotionally with the stories. Uh, you know, you had some of it in The Next Generation, but as soon as you started going deep with that emotion, The Next Generation will pull you back really quick mm-hmm. um ds9 lets you stay there a little bit longer 
Uh, and then in Voyager, it's, it's almost like they just kind of built on that precedent that was set for being able to tell a deep, moving story with a lot of gray areas, like you were saying, and some very compelling points where, you know, there wasn't a hero or a villain. Uh, there were just two people with opposing views, with, both with valid points and, and needing to find some way to get past a conflict. And I guess that kind of leads us to, I mean, we've touched on it already, but the last question I wanted to ask was, how do you think your love and appreciation for Star Trek shaped your view of the world? Oh, my, as far as that goes, it, uh, I don't know, I think it really inspired my view of the world, shaped a lot of it, um, you know, in association with my own, like I said, the childhood in which it was introduced to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it became a touchstone. It became a, a, com, a com, both a common ground to communicate with other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why "Beam Me Up, Scotty" is still a <laughs> uh, still a meme today. Uh-huh. You know, still being f- new ways to find or "Beam Me Aboard, Scotty." You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing is still there. Um, but it it kind of inspired my love for uh, you know things like exploration and tinkering and mechanics and science and like um, when Skylab when Skylab fell out of the sky, we saw that from our backyard mm. in Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, we you know and and it was like oh you know that's like Star Trekky stuff, and so you know my fascination <laughs> with like NASA and space exploration, and then you know I, th- I think all of those things were really inspired. You know, Scotty. I mean, you know. There's been there have been many jobs where they call me the Scotty of the job because you know the uh, the shields are down and the engines are failing and it's like <laughs> we gotta do something to fix it and I fix it you know it's like you, you are indeed the uh, like Mr. If, Scott of the uh, of the real world right it's like if Scotty well I mean I'm not nearly that good of a schooled engineer but yeah no it's it's more the the, the concept of problem solving on the fly mm-hmm. you know of that there are no you know. There's no wall to hit. There's an obstacle to get an obstacle to get over or yeah. to get through. But yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, I feel like it really inspired a lot of my stuff and, and my love of, of like I said tinkering and then of course later on then prop making and now costuming. You know, I mean it just mm-hmm. all kind of evolved from that original inspiration of like I think one of the most like <laughs> the in the in the record slash comic book read along book there was one story there where. Uh, there's this uh, an ambassador they're transporting somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, the ambassador has this pet that's essentially you know kind of like a cat, mm-hmm. but it's like a psychic cat. Okay. Where it can sense the emotions <clears throat> of the people around it, mm-hmm. but its defensive mechanism is that if it senses fear or anxiety or you know any of those negative emotions it basically amplifies them and it amplifies them and sends them back out around it wow as a defensive mechanism Mm -hmm. and of course for the uh for the ambassador the ambassador being being around the cat you know that was the whole point was their species has kind of outgrown some of those immediate knee-jerk reactions Mm -hmm. because of these animals Mm. um you know, kind of a symbiosis the way humans and dogs have. Yeah, yeah. But the cat gets nervous. The cat starts projecting. The cat mm-hmm. projecting causes all the other people on the ship to start getting nervous and start getting angry and start mm-hmm. turning on each other, which <laughs> wow. makes the cat even more 
anxious and then it gets out and it disappears onto the deck somewhere. It's running around the Jeffrey's tubes and people have to try to find it. And in the end, the thing that, you know, the, the way to, to fix the problem essentially becomes to just be like, she's a good kitty. Who's a good kitty? Who's a good kitty? And then, <laughs> you know, so like a simple solution to what would seem to be an insurmountable problem. Mm-hmm. And it essentially boils down to getting past your knee-jerk reactions, mm-hmm. thinking a little, you know? And yeah. that was like one of my earliest stories, you know, as far as science fiction in childhood. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's a very... It's a very empowering thing, very mm-hmm. inspiring thing to be exposed to at that age. Um, yeah. So I'd say it's shaped, you know, a huge chunk of my existence <laughs> for my whole life. What you can't see is that he's showing off his tattoos. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, kind of uh, originally I just thought of it as entertainment. I don't think I was making that deeper connection early, you know. I enjoyed the stories. I enjoyed the characters. It wasn't until I really got into Deep Space Nine that I made a connection with the deeper themes. I always thought the utopia concept that they had originally introduced seemed unreasonable somehow, like impossible. Like how could you have gotten to a state where there was no money and nobody was working toward, you know, having power over other people? (laughs) You know, it's just... That underlying theme just didn't even seem within reach or or whatever, reasonable. And then back in 2011, I did this massive just Star Trek binge of everything I could find. So I started from the earliest productions to the latest productions. Uh, I started filling in blanks of things I had not seen or had not finished I really kind of connected to the the overall themes and the humanity that was in it. I think um, I had evolved. Uh, I consider myself humanist now, and a, a humanist believes that uh, that the, the, there's an ability for humanity to continue to grow and evolve and lift itself to the next level of its own uh, existence. So that the idea of having faith in humanity uh, is thrown around a little bit, but <laughs> but humanists would would believe not in faith in humanity, but faith in the, the ability of a human to find power within themselves. So I think the the process of going through all of the Star Trek lore after coming to that that understanding, in my own life, changed how I saw Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And so, in turn, Star Trek changed me a little bit more in 2011 than it ever did prior to that. Uh, I came to process Deep Space Nine a little bit deeper uh, the second time through uh, and really have a connection with it and a, a feeling that this really represented uh, the best of what humanity can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is not an impossible goal. That it's, uh, it is an ideal, but it is worth striving for because we can make increments to get there. I think I've also seen the influence of Star Trek on society over time and how it's allowed people to have hope that we can move toward that sort of yeah, it might it might take a eugenics war and a nuclear exchange or two. <laughs> An alien cyborg invasion, but we can get there. 
Well, and, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I mean, the reality is there's still going to be the people out there that want to have the power for themselves, the money for themselves, uh, who don't care about, you know, the benefit of humanity. They are only interested in the benefit of self. So, you know, those people are going to exist, but that doesn't mean we can't have faith in the humanity as a, as a broader group moving forward toward uh, an ideal together. Well, I kind of feel like that was, that was kind of the, the long-term point of Gene's sort of philosophy, mm-hmm. was that, you know, it is often common enemies that bring other enemies together. It is, mm-hmm. it is a common struggle. It, it's the recognition that, despite... Uh, any of our other petty differences, you know, ultimately sometimes it is just a word or a, or a slight kink in philosophy that separates us. Mm-hmm. And once you can accept that and embrace it, mm-hmm. you know, it makes the, the whole stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was very inspiring. Well, I think that really kind of answers our question about the impact Star Trek has made on us. I know that any one of those topics we could talk for many hours on. So hopefully as this series goes forward, we can pick out specific topics to really kind of dive into a little deeper uh, without feeling like we're going too off track. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed doing this with you. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was and, nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and I hope the listeners enjoy it. I look forward to hearing what they think. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Gen X Replay podcast. Check the episode details for related links and contact information for me and Hoot. If you like what you hear, share these episode links in your social media and let others know where to find us so we can keep boosting the signal on this podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at StephanieDoesVO to find out when we post each new episode. Until next time, be safe out there. Transfer complete.